Who Will Stop the Rain? It's the title of a classic song by Creedence Clearwater Revival back in the 1970s, right? Who stopped the rain? The lyrics describe this confusion being poured out upon the ground by clouds of mystery. John Fogarty, he writes, he sings this, uh, the rain of uncertainty has been coming down for as long as he can remember, and then he concludes, and I wonder, still I wonder, who'll stop the rain? Seems like a fitting song, right, for the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, it's the story of Elijah the prophet, because uh, back in Israel, there was plenty of confusion raining down all around, and they are wondering who's in charge. Who's in charge? Have you ever wondered that? Who's really in charge? Maybe in your family, some days you're wondering <laughs> who's in charge, right? Or maybe in your classroom on a particularly chaotic day, maybe you're a teacher and you're wondering who's in charge? Or maybe uh, halls of government after 15 votes for a speaker, <laughs> who's in charge, right? So if you've uh, been around the church, you know the right answer to this question, who's in charge? Well, of course, God's in charge, right? God is powerful. God is all-knowing. God is everywhere. God is in charge. But it doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always seem like things are happening in the way that we think they should happen if God is in charge. And when things don't happen the way we expect, then we begin to get confused maybe about God or at least what we should expect from God. Maybe you even feel like John Fogarty and you're going, I, I wonder, I still, I wonder. This isn't a theological uh, critique of CCR in the 70s. That would be fun, however. Uh, but their song does seem to highlight this recurring theme today. There's confusion, it seems like everywhere. And it doesn't seem to be getting any better. So if you ever find yourself uh, hard to understand why things are going the way they're going, or if you're wondering who really is in charge, then like Elijah, you're about to discover who stops the rain. So in part two of the story, uh, today we are halfway through. So if you've been uh, reading along together the story Bible, I'm just going to thank you, Cheryl. Thanks so much. If you're reading the story Bible with us, uh, we're, we are starting on chapter 15 today. Uh, I want to do a little refresher about what this is all about. So we are committing as a church to reading together the story, which is, you know, God's story. It's uh, our story, your story. Together, this is God's story. And it reads like a novel. So as we uh, go through this, many of you have come and been part of small groups and had side discussions with me about the content. You know, it's really great to grow together as we're reading the Word and getting familiar uh, with the Bible. Uh, now is a great time to start. If you haven't begun yet, now is a wonderful time to start. There's a few copies left out by the front door. If you're online with us, you can go to your favorite bookseller and get a copy and uh, begin reading chapter 15. If uh, This is the story of God and God's people. And it begins in the book of Genesis as God creates human beings as the best part of creation. Then he calls his work very good. That's God's view of us, of you and me, God's humanity. Very good. So God made us to be in relationship with God, to share his vast and creative love, and to do it all in this perfect place, right? The Garden of Eden. But the first human beings, they turned away from that plan, from God's way, and decided to go their own way. 
That's called sin. And sin then separates them from the presence of God. Presence of, uh, you know, in this beautiful place, in this perfect place. And the rest of the Bible is actually about God's plan to get his people back. And it's all in the book. And as you read, take note of uh, two aspects of the story. There are two perspectives that are taking place. One is the upper story. That's God's plan to get his people back. So we follow this upper story of God's plan. But then there's also the lower story and how God is working through ordinary people to fulfill his plan. Ordinary people often just like you and me. So this is where we'll find out today who will stop the rain. So what we find in Israel in Elijah's time is actually kind of familiar today. People have become uncertain about who God really is. And for good reason. There's a lot of ideas about who God actually is, and they don't really fit what the Bible teaches. You know, something happened uh, last week in the NFL. One of the players had a heart attack on the field. And I was reading a story uh, written by a, kind of an editor of a major newspaper. And he talked about this unique phenomena that took place uh, the, the, throughout the week, that day and throughout the week. Uh, instead of the kind of the familiar, our thoughts are with you, the language changed this time to our prayers are with you. And that people talked about praying for this player. And, uh, you know, that, that was something that was actually quite unique. Now, he commented that I don't suspect that everybody was praying to the same God, to the Christian God that he would particularly pray to. But he said it, it, it uh, manifested or it showed this idea that we need more than just our own selves, that we often need to reach out to spiritual realities to God in heaven. Now, the God in the Bible that we talk about is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is further revealed in Scripture as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And since we're halfway through the story, it's a good time to remind you that are listening today, if you're listening online, that I have warned this church again and again that if someone else or myself says something that sounds really good, but it isn't in the Scripture, be warned. Be wary. It's your responsibility to uh, bring that up, to uh, call me out on it. And I, I'm going to do my best always to present the truth of Scripture uh, as it is. Uh, and some of you have graciously pointed out that I'm not quite doing that all the time. So thank you. <laughs> may we disagree, you know, we may disagree on minor interpretations, but I'm willing to receive honest critique. We have to be learners together, and that's the key. We are learners together on this journey as we follow with Christ. And I say that because today I recognize that one of the greatest prophets in, uh, in the Scriptures was still in the position of needing to learn about God. His name is Elijah, and he needed to learn to come to understand God's ways. And the people in Israel in the story today, they have a lot to learn. So things had become so confusing in the northern tribes of Israel that by this time in the story, uh, the people are pretty sure that God was a Baal. That God was a Baal. You might say, well, what's a Baal? Well, that's a Baal. That's probably not the God they were worshiping. But um, I don't know. Here's, here's maybe an example. If you've ever seen an Avengers movie, you know, the Marvel comics, uh, then think Thor without a hammer, all right? Thor without a hammer. 
So it's not an exact likeness, but it kind of works for this illustration. Uh, in Marvel, Thor is a godlike figure who controls thunder and lightning. And in Israel's history, the people that had inhabited the land before God gave it to Israel, they worshipped idols. And the primary idol was a Canaanite idol called Baal. And it was considered the greatest deity in the culture and was the storm god, kind of like Thor, but not quite, you know, was responsible for crops and fertility and for bringing rain. So the king of Israel is now Ahab. His uh, queen is Jezebel. Uh, she is a princess from a Canaanite uh, background and uh, powerful and uh, considerable authority in Israel. And the king and queen have turned from worshiping the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which we call Yahweh in Scripture. They've turned from Yahweh and are worshiping the idols, primarily Baal. So there's a lot of confusion in the land about who God really is. Is God Baal or is God Yahweh? Now everybody's about to find out the answer to our question, who will stop the rain? As we read in 1 Kings chapter 17, it says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Galilee said to Ahab, I just want to say, good job reading today. It was uh, some, some tough ones there. You, you nailed it. So Elijah said, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at, the, at my word. So on behalf of God, Elijah declares a drought. That made Elijah the troubler of Israel. So King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, they placed all the blame for the stopping of the rain on Elijah. Now it's interesting to note, not Elijah's God. They are blaming Elijah because they think that he's making their God, Baal, mad. Therefore, Baal is withholding the rain. So here's the idea. When Baal, this idol God, is pleased then the people, uh, with the people and their sacrifices, then he sends rain. Jezebel and Ahab, they've been doing their part to keep their idol pleased. And they thought everything was fine. They thought until Elijah shows up. And now their Baal is displeased and withholding rain. So the big question for the people is this. Who stopped the rain, right? Who stopped the rain? Can you see how the people are getting confused? I mean, they have people in authority uh, speaking about God in, in very different ways. You know, the king and queen are talking about their national system of religion, and they're saying one thing. Now we have Elijah coming on the scene, he's saying another. And uh, the outcome is that this Baal is being directly challenged. So what's the result for Elijah? Well, he ends up having to flee for hiding for about three and a half years while this drought takes place. You know, that's a long time to wait, isn't it? Three and a half years. I feel like that's about what we've been doing during the last three years. It feels like it's been a long time. It feels like it's been maybe like a big drought for the church and, and, and in many ways for all of us. So Yahweh sends him to uh, this place called Kirith Ravine where God keeps him from starving, being fed by ravens. And then he sends him on to a widow outside of Israel in a place called Zarephath with a widow who's about to die of starvation because this drought is affecting a lot of people. So God's provision to this widow is oil and bread. Elijah tells her she's about to bake her last loaf of bread and then eat it and then uh, with her son and then die because there's no more provision. But Elijah says, before you do that, just give me a little bit. Let me have some. So she does that. 
And uh, God then makes provision for the widow, her son, and for Elijah by, by this oil and this flour never running out until the rains finally come. So Elijah is learning through all of this to trust God in very difficult situations. You know, does it maybe feel like for us, for the church, we're learning to trust God again in some times difficult situations as God is working things out? You know, God has been whispering in Elijah's ear, directing every step that Elijah needs to take for his provision each day. Kind of sounds like what God is calling us, some of us to do. You know, just to listen carefully, trust God, and follow his lead for the provision for the day. But then something very strange happens, and things don't turn out the way Elijah thinks God should do them. Do you ever find yourself second-guessing God? I'm guessing that if you are a follower of Jesus, the answer to that question is yes. God, what are you up to? You should not be doing it this way. We, we have a whole lot of ideas about how God should work, how God should act, and when they don't line up with what we think they should be, it ends up causing us confusion. We get disillusioned, or even worse, we can get bitter with God. So chances are you found yourself in that position, second-guessing God and asking, what are you doing? You know, like Elijah, he finds himself confused with Yahweh. So in 1 Kings 17, we read, Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? I mean, that's a huge accusation. Elijah takes the boy upstairs and lays him out on the bed. Then he cries out to the Lord. He said, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I am staying with by causing her son to die? You know, for Elijah, I think this must feel like God is punishing this widow for caring for Elijah. You know, and and probably what's happened over this season is Elijah has grown close to this widow and her son. They must feel like family. I mean, Elijah's away from his and uh, and out of the country. And now all this tragedy is taking place. And he's got to be wondering, God, what are you doing? He doesn't get it. You know, sometimes God's ways just don't make sense to us, especially when we're having the view from the lower story. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? As we read on, it says, Then he, Elijah, stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him, and he lived. And Elijah returned him to his mother, and then we begin to understand what's taking place by her response. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know. Say that with me. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Truth. Now she's finally, this foreigner woman is finally beginning to understand who God truly is. And Elijah is realizing that God's ways are not his ways. And through Elijah, God is working out his plan to get his people back. Even a foreign woman who worships Baal. So there's no one God cannot reach or bring back to him. And now after three and a half years of drought, the stage is finally set for the moment of truth for the nation of Israel. They're going to learn who really does stop the rain. 
So Elijah reveals himself to King Ahab at the Lord's command. It says, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baal. So who's the problem in Israel? Is it Elijah or is it the king? If you know the answer, then remember that the people are still legitimately confused. Again, they're hearing this from authority figures, both sides. They're saying opposite things. And the king and queen have their minds made up. The troubler is Elijah. So what do the people think? You know, sometimes things have to be revealed before the truth can be received. Sometimes we have to see. Others have to see before they can believe. And that will require, on our part, patience. Sometimes people have to actually see you being God's hands and feet in the world before they're going to listen to what you have to say. Sometimes they have to experience the love of Christ in very difficult situations and through very difficult situations and the patience of God's people in order for them to begin to receive and understand that maybe God does care for me. Be patient. You know, Elijah waited three and a half years in some difficult situation until God's timing was right to reveal the truth. And that's the rest of the story. Elijah told the king to gather the prophets who uh, represented the state-sanctioned religion of Baal along with all the people of Israel. So here's the story. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And the people said nothing. So the evidence of confusion here is clear. The people don't know what to say. They don't know who God is. So Elijah proposes this situation to solve the dilemma. He says, there's only one of me, one prophet. I'm a prophet of Yahweh. And there are 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. And both are going to prepare a sacrifice for the Lord. Whoever, whatever God, he says, then call on the name of your God, I'll call on the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you said is good. In other words, let's do it. So this makes sense now, right? The people are going to get this. Whichever God answers by fire and burns up the sacrifice, that is God. It'll be really clear, then they'll know. So this looks like a big win for the Baal prophets. Remember, this is like Thor, the god of storms, the god of lightning. He should be able to, no problem, send a bolt of lightning down and light this sacrifice on fire. So these prophets, they're all in. They're ready to go. And they do. They make their sacrifice, and then they begin to dance around all day long. But nothing happens. Why doesn't anything happen? It's an idol, right? It's just a piece of wood or stone. It can't do anything. But nothing happens all day long. It gets gruesome, and there's still nothing in the end. And then at the evening time of sacrifice, this is what the time that Moses set for the official sacrifices to take place. Elijah steps up, he builds an altar, he puts the wood on it, he puts the sacrifice on it, and then before he calls on the Lord, he does something really crazy. He douses that whole sacrifice with water. Not just once, not twice. But three times, he completely soaks it. He wants to be sure that everyone knows when God acts, this is going to be a miraculous move of God. No one else can do this. So, he prays. 
And uh, I'm guessing he's praying this out loud so that everyone can hear, because here's his prayer. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, he's revealing who God is, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Remember God's great plan to get his people back? that you're turning their hearts back again. It's God's plan. And then fire fell from the sky, burned up the sacrifice, even the water and the rocks and the altar. Everything was completely taken up. And when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And the people finally get it, right? God is God. Elijah is vindicated. His life's work has come to this very moment. And he has, uh, God has revealed Himself to Israel, who God really is, and the people have turned to the Lord. And imagine the joy that Elijah's feeling when he hears these words. You know, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. You know, I don't know of anything greater than coming to faith in Christ personally than being present when someone else puts their trust in Jesus. It's an amazing moment, amazing experience of that conversion, that new birth, when someone finally says, God is real. You can see that light bulb light up. You know, I believe Jesus is my Savior. You know, it's an amazing experience. But it's not the end. It's actually the beginning. And that's what Elijah is about to find out. You know, the fire from heaven is spectacular, but the real sought-after evidence shows up after Israel expresses faith in Yahweh. Elijah's prayer makes it clear who they're worshiping, right? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But Elijah is compelled to deal a blow to the idol worshipers. Uh, They've been defeated, and he kills all the prophets of Baal according to the law of Moses. So now he must feel like everything is complete. Now he's ready for the big prize. That wasn't actually the big prize. He's now ready for the big prize. You know what it is? National revival. Elijah's ready for the nation to turn back to God. What are you waiting for? I think it's really good to have high expectations. After all, whatever, what is impossible for us is possible with God. But as a warning that any expectations that aren't aligned with what God is doing, where God is working, they're not going to be fulfilled. In other words, I've learned that you better line up with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And no matter how great your expectations, if they're not lined up with God's, it's just going to be a big disappointment. In other words, great expectations that are not lined up with what God is doing, no matter how good, quickly become great disappointment. Great expectations not aligned with God become great disappointments. Elijah is expecting this national revival that leads all the way to the top, to the king and queen. And what is going to make that happen more than anything else after three and a half years? What's going to bring about this great revival and change the hearts of the king and queen? Rain, right? Rain. I remember when we were experiencing a little drought here and many years ago, and uh, somebody came up to me and asked me a very important question. They said, Pastor, are you praying for rain? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but I can't make it happen. 
right? Our expectations have to be lined up with God. So Elijah has this covered. He prays, and then the rain starts to come. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak in his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So I'm sure we can't wait to witness this. He can't wait to witness this conversion of the king and queen, or at least see them dethroned. Uh, it's time for national revival. But the, troubler, the troublers of Israel, uh, Jezebel and Ahab, they don't have a conversion. Nothing happens. The king and re queen remain completely unaffected by this showdown on Carbal, and it's a huge blow to Elijah's expectations. The queen actually reports that she's going to make Elijah as dead as the prophets of Baal if he doesn't leave by morning. And with that news, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Things didn't turn out how Elijah expected. And just when God needed him the most, this great prophet, he runs away. How do you respond when things don't happen the way you expect? You know, we know God's big picture plan. It's to get his people back. But we don't always know what the whole upper story picture is when we're just seeing the lower story version. You know, our, our understanding is limited. We can only see what we can see. We don't know everything that God sees. God obviously sees from a different perspective. He sees the whole thing from beginning to end. And we have to trust that. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So if we're always seeking these big ways and these spectacular experiences, I think we're missing the point of what it means to humbly walk with the Lord. You know, we'll, we'll likely get confused about how God works in our lives or We'll be afraid of the circumstances that don't turn out the way we expected them. Or worse, we become complacent, waiting to jump in only when things get exciting. The truth, of us is, the truth is that most of being a faithful follower of Jesus is done in the quiet, routine, humble obedience to God's will. Most of this walk as a Jesus follower is in quiet, humble obedience. Day in, day out, no matter the circumstances. That doesn't sound all that exciting, does it? It sounds faithful. And that's what Elijah discovered as he ran into the wilderness to meet God. That God didn't reveal himself in this spectacular way on the mountain in the wind or the fire or the earthquake. God revealed himself in this still, small, quiet voice. The same voice that he'd been hearing all through his ministry. And as that, that is exactly what Elijah needed to hear. God was not done with him, and God is not done with you. No matter where you are today, God is not done with you. Whatever situation you're facing, God is still working out his plan. You are not abandoned. You are not alone. You don't need to fear. You do, however need to listen to God's still small voice and then trust and obey. Listen, trust, and obey.
Listen, trust, and obey. Will you say that with me? Listen, trust, and obey. One more time. Listen, trust, and obey. Listen, trust, and then whatever God reveals to you, do that. That's the faithful walk. Because God is always by your side. God will accomplish his good plan through your obedience. Now, the Alpha introductory course is coming up next Sunday, the 15th of January. And I'm going to invite you to pray, talk to God, ask God if this is something that you should be part of. The Alpha Course is a great way, if you're a new follower of Jesus, to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be equipped along the way. And if you have been a follower of Jesus, it's a great way to be encouraged to stick in for the long haul. The Alpha Course. My invitation to you is think about one night, the introductory night. Come check it out and decide if it's something that you want to do. Next Sunday, 6 o'clock, you get a great meal, watch an inspiring video, and then a little conversation around the table. Decide if you want to stay for the course. So the story doesn't end here. Elijah, he goes back to work, and he begins to recognize that the next generation actually receives a double portion of his spirit as God continues his work in Israel. And then when it's all done, he does experience one more time the spectacular. He's actually taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. Wow. Most of being a faithful follower of Jesus isn't that. It's done in the quiet, routine, humble obedience to God's will. Where we discover with certainty who stops the rain. Let's pray. God, thank you that you call us to that walk with you, that you are with us in the midst of it, and that you are working out your good plan even when we don't see it or understand it. Which, Lord, to confess, we confess today that that is often the case. But you call us simply to trust you, to listen quietly, and to then follow your lead. And Lord, thank you that you do lead. Thank you that you see the big picture. And Lord, that you are working out what is best for us and for all your people. So Lord, help us again today to trust you. And if we're in this point where we just really haven't done that, haven't placed our faith in you, then maybe to consider that right now. That still call voice, still small voice that is calling maybe to you, to your heart, to trust Jesus. Simply say, Jesus, I love you. I'm sorry for my sin. Thanks for dying for me. I believe you're real. You died for me. And thank you for filling me with your spirit that I may trust and walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.